someone's been preaching the gospel for over 50 years, I believe it would behoove us to take note and listen to what he has to say, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be good advice for us today? And I want you to know that the Lord has sent us one of his choicest servants for these days to preach to us the glories of our great Savior. I I think of Brother Miller as being a preacher's preacher. You'd have to be a preacher to understand that, wouldn't you, Brother Miller? There are preachers, and then there are preachers' preachers. There's some of his messages, and I don't say this to, to flatter him, that I have listened to over and over and over again. His message on sanctification. There's several. My wife and I will sit and just listen to. I don't forget the first time I heard him, I came home and said, Kathy, you've got you've to hear this man. You've got to hear him. And uh, we brought, I think, that particular message up, and, and we've listened to it several times. We're asking the Lord to bless us today and these days and to show us his son and to bring all glory to Jesus Christ. Have you come with a need for the hear, for, to hear from the Lord today? I don't think it's wrong to ask the Lord to bless us, do you? I want all that he has for me. I have in my study words that I read from Spurgeon's, one of Spurgeon's messages. He said we should implore his blessing. Beg for it. Let's do that just now. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you are gracious. And you're our Father. And we'd say with the disciples, who are we to go to? What are we to do without you? If we're to be blessed, it will be because you pour out your blessings upon us. Lord, there's no one in this room that can conjure that up. These musicians, even our dear servant that you sent our way, cannot conjure up what only you can do. And so we ask that you would show us your glory and your Savior, your Son, Our sin and the answer is we seek your face. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you turn please to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The writer in the book of Hebrews Uh, talks about the superiority and the excellency of Jesus Christ. In the sermon during the Sunday school hour, we presented the prologue in verses 1 through 3. I talked to you about his person. He, Jesus, is the brightness of God's glory. He is the express image of God's person. It is a biblical affirmation of the deity of Christ. I gave you four of the performances of Christ. He's the inerrant revelator. We talked about the fragmentation of the Old Testament revelation It was at sundry times and in divers manners. We talked about the fullness of the New Testament revelation in Christ. We know more now that God has spoken unto us 
by his son. We have a full revelation. And we have a final revelation. I don't know about you, but my problem in sanctification is not needing more revelation. Is that a difficulty for any of you in the room? Is your sanctification thwarted, hindered, or limited because you only have the Old and New Testament? I throw not. Our problem is understanding and obeying the revelation God has already given. And I talk to you about the father of both revelations. Whether you're reading in the Old Testament or reading in the New Testament, you're reading the Word of God. When some professor casts a cloud of doubt or disparages the veracity of something an Old Testament prophet said, to the same degree and extent, he disparages what Jesus said in the New Testament. You can't have it one way without the other. God is the father of both revelations. I talked to you about Christ as the infallible regulator. He upholds all things by the word of his power. We live in a cosmos rather than in chaos because of his providential government. I talked to you about him as the incomparable redeemer. He is sovereign. He purged our sin. I talked to you about the singularity of the redeemer. He by himself purged our sin. I talked to you about the sufficiency of the redemption. He purged our sin. Tis done. The work regarding our atonement has been done. Let us cease to work and let us rest and relax in the finished work of Christ. And then I talk to you about the fact that he's the indisputed ruler. Now I want us to take up where we left off. What do you think about that? Isn't this a novel approach in preaching that you had just started verse 1 and take three or four verses and then when you come back, take up where you left off. Uh, that's what I want us to do. And I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is greater than the angels. Are you interested to know about that, that Jesus is better than the angels. Well, let's begin at verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels spake he at any time, saying, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be unto him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. And again, 
when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. For thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, from the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and like a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. For unto which of the angels said he, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Hallelujah. And praise the Lord. Now I have revisited the prologue already. Now here's the next item. I want you to see this remarkable proposition. Jesus is better than the angels. Look at verse 4. Speaking about our Lord, he says that Jesus has been made better than the angels. That is, He has been exalted to a position that is superior to that of the angels. He has received a name that is above the name of the angels. He has obtained this name by virtue of inheritance. What on earth could this mean? I'll tell you what it means. It is a reference to the everlasting covenant created in eternity past before the world was ever established. God the Father in consultation with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father said, I have decreed that I will create man and I will redeem a number of men for myself and God the Father appointed the Son to be the Redeemer and God the Son agreed that in the fullness of the times he would come made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law and God the Holy Spirit said I will personally apply what the Father has appointed, and what the Son shall accomplish. Now, the Trinity, having agreed in this everlasting covenant, 
God then said, I will give to my son as an inheritance all of those for whom he dies and accomplishes redemption. And as a gift of inheritance, I will exalt him to a position that is high above all other positions and all other persons. And I will give him a name that is above every name. This name, in verse 4, has been obtained by virtue of inheritance. Now, I, well, I started to say, I bet you. Can you say that here? After all, we're in, we're in the South, aren't we? I bet you some of you are thinking that I'm going to tell you what that name is. But I'll only have to hint at it. Can I quote from that uh, parallel passage in the book of Philippians chapter 2 where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, a name at which one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you suppose the name that is spoken of in verse 4 could be Lord? Could it be Sovereign? Could it be Savior? We can only speculate. Now, some of my friends seem to know more about the name than I. Some of them have suggested that it's the name Son, uh, perhaps. But I think we're closer to speculate and not be too definitive. I like all those names, don't you? Now, who are the angels? So this text makes this proposition. Jesus is better than the angels. Who are the angels? The angels are created, intelligent, moral agents. They possess free will. They are sufficient to stand in obedience to God. But they were free to fall. You and I never possessed such free will, did we? I can tell by looking at this crowd that you were never sufficient in and of yourself to stand in perfect obedience to God. 
on your best day, in your finest hour, you were insufficient. And for that matter, you weren't even free to fall. You came into this world fallen. But the angels had free will. Some of them chose to rebel. Many of them, hallelujah, are elect angels. They have kept their original position. Now, why do you suppose that the writer in the book of Hebrews is so interested in establishing the fact that Jesus is better than the angels? Well, it's because he is writing this letter to Christian Jews who are undergoing unusual persecution at the time. And many of them are new believers in the faith. And they are being sorely tempted to turn back to Judaism. They are being tempted to go back under the legalism of the Old Testament law. And these Jews believed, and rightly so, that the Old Testament scriptures had been given by the prophets by way of the angels' uh, dispensation. They had received the word by the disposition of angels and delivered it unto the fathers in time past. He has told us in the early verses of the chapter that God has spoken unto us by His Son. We have a full and final revelation. Now, He's better than the Old Testament prophets and better than the angels who gave the Old Testament prophets their word. Do you see that? Nod your head up and down. If you don't, I'll talk on that further. All right, I want you to put that aside now, and I want to get to the heart of the passage. I want you to see now the proof that the writer gives that Jesus is better than the angels. He gives us three proofs. In verses 5 and 6, he tells us that Jesus is better than the angels because he is God's son. The angels are God's servants. In verses 7 through 12, he tells us that Jesus is better than the angels because Jesus is the creator. The angels are the creatures. In verses 13 and 14, he tells us that Jesus is better than the angels because Jesus is the mighty sovereign and the angels are ministering spirits. Are you interested to see what he has to say here? All right, here's the first proof. Jesus is better than angels because he's God's son. Verse 5 says... For unto which of the angels spake he at any time, saying, Thou art my son, 
This day have I begotten thee. Now we are presented here with a great theological dilemma. What does this mean that God the Father begot Jesus the Son? Has he not always existed even in eternity past as the Son of God? Has he not? How can it be then that he speaks here of a specific time in space where God begot Jesus as Son? Well, are you familiar with this term, hypostatic union? Can you say that? Say it with me. Hypostatic union. This is a phrase that scholars use to describe the union of the divine nature of Jesus with his human nature. In eternity past, Jesus Christ existed in his essential divine nature as the second person of the Godhead. That has never changed. But there came a time when the divine nature of Jesus Christ was joined in perfect union with a physical human nature. And so, in the person of Jesus, you have two natures and two wills perfectly joined in the one man, Christ Jesus. Now, do you know what I've discovered? Everybody believes in Jesus these days in our culture. Hollywood actors and actresses believe in Jesus. Politicians believe in Jesus. Oprah Winfrey believes in Jesus. Everybody believes in Jesus these days until you begin to say what the Bible says about him until you began to declare that this man Jesus is a man and he was a great teacher, he was a great philosopher, he was benevolent and all of those things that are true about him. But when you begin to declare that he was more than just a man, that this man Jesus was also God in human flesh, the God of eternity, the second person of the Godhead, has been begotten, has been incarnate, and he is now the God-man. That's what he's speaking of here. He's speaking of the human nature of Jesus. He's talking about the babe in the manger, this day have I begotten thee. 
in human flesh, God dwelling among us. Now, the writer's emphasis is this. To which of the angels was anything like this ever declared? You will search the scriptures in vain to find one place where God ever addressed a specific angel in this manner. Thou art my son this day have I begotten thee. Do you see his proof here? Look at the next statement. And again, I will be unto him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. Do you remember those times when God spoke audibly from heaven, owning Jesus as his son on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you remember all of those times when Jesus addressed God as his father? Are there any parents in the room today? Have you learned in your parenting to take great consolation in the fact that our God himself is a father, that he is a parent? We draw much from such a conclusion. And then... In verse 6, he says, uh, When he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. When is this? You know, at the incarnation, when Jesus was born in the manger, the angels came, but they addressed God the Father in their worship. We're told when Jesus comes again, however, that he will come with a mighty host of angels. Uh, Jude said it like this as he quoted Enoch. Behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his saints, ten thousands of his angels. There's coming a day when the clouds shall be rolled back like a scroll and in regal splendor, unknown to mortal man, Christ Jesus shall descend, and with him shall come a mighty host of angels, and before him shall be gathered all nations. Uh, many of the scholars, in fact most of them, suggest that he is talking about the second coming of the Lord. Uh, regardless, the point is the angels have been commanded by God to worship Jesus. Now, if the angels who are of a greater, higher order than ourselves are commanded to worship him, how much more is it our privilege and duty to worship him as well? Now put that aside and let's look at this next proof. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the creator. The angels are creatures. Wouldn't that put him in a more excellent, preeminent state than the angels? Look at verse 7. Who said to the angels, 
Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? The angels are created beings. Jesus had no beginning and he has no ending. And look at what he says about Jesus. But of the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Here is God the Father speaking about the Son. And God says to his Son, Thou, O God, are forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Uh, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Now, you will remember that when Jesus was here on earth, none could justly accuse him of wrongdoing. When he went to John the Baptist to be baptized, John forbade him and said, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? But Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you know that as our substitute, Jesus Christ, while here on earth, fulfilled all of the righteous demands of God's holy law? He did that on our behalf. Are you aware that in justifying the sinner, God Almighty takes this perfect righteousness which Jesus accomplished here on earth and gives that to us? Hallelujah and praise the Lord. And this is an interesting statement. He loved righteousness. You and I often obey the Lord but we do it out of a sense of duty. We obey the Lord out of a sense of obligation. But Jesus loved righteousness. You might have heard about the child, the little four-year-old boy who kept standing up in the car seat as his mother drove along. And she told him to sit down once and twice and the third time she swatted him on the knee and said, I told you to sit down and buckle the seat belt. And he did. But after a bit, he looked up at his mom and he said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up <laughs> on the inside. And that's the way our obedience is. That's the way our righteousness is at times but our Lord Jesus Christ loved righteousness and for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame he says in the next passage that from the beginning he has laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of his hands. Do you know what they tell us about our universe? They tell us that there are many galaxies, many of these larger than our galaxy, the Milky Way. 
They tell us that within these galaxies there are solar systems. There are planets. Do you know Jesus created all of that? They are going to perish. This world is not going to last. But Jesus will remain. One of these days like a robe. Uh, Our Lord is going to fold them up and lay them aside. The earth and the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. And this world is going to be dissolved. But Jesus is the same. His years shall not fail. I grew up out in the country. I cut my teeth on the old Heavenly Highway hymn book, Orangeback Edition. Are you familiar with it? I grew up singing songs like this. Time is filled with swift transition. Naught of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to His hand to God's unchanging hand. Hold to His hand, to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. I tell you, beloved, the world's not going to last, nor the world's riches, but Christ remains the same. His years shall not fail. He's better than the angels. But now let's look at this last statement. He's better than the angels because he's the mighty sovereign. They are ministering spirits. Would you look at verse 13? Under which of the angels said he, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now again... Everybody believes in Jesus these days until you tell them that he is seated on the throne, that he is the sovereign God of the universe. And do you see what this text says? It says he is going to sit there in this sovereign position as Lord of the universe until his father has made all of his enemies his footstool. Now, beloved, the Lord Jesus is a warrior. He's on the throne. Our God reigns. And there is this holy animosity, this feeling of strong antagonism in the heart of the Lord toward those who are his enemies. And one of these days, he's going to crush his enemies. Is that not what the scripture said in Psalm chapter 2? He shall have them in derision. He shall laugh when their calamity comes. But look at the angels They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be the heirs of salvation. Are you an heir 
of salvation, God has appointed his angels to minister to you. Do you remember when Balaam would come at Balak's bidding to curse the people of God and the donkey upon which he was riding had to pass through a narrow way and the donkey attempted to stop and then he crushed Balaam's leg against the rock wall. Do you remember why? It was because the angel of the Lord stood in the way, stood there to protect him and prevent him from sinning against God. Do you ever need any protecting and preventing from the world and the flesh and the devil? Do you? God sends forth his angels to help in such times. Do you remember when God sent angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah? They announced to Lot that the Lord had sent them to destroy that place. And when Lot lingered, the angels took him and his wife and his two unmarried daughters by the hand. And the Bible says, hurried them out of the city. Oh my, do you ever need to be hurried along? Do you ever need prodding? Do you ever need coaching and encouragement to get up and get going? Some of the saints sit and talk about it. They even get together and pray about it, but they never get around to doing it. May the angels come and hurry us along. Do you remember when Daniel was in the lion's den? He afterwards said, God sent his angel and stopped the mouths of the lions. Now, do you remember in Luke chapter 16 when the Bible says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Do you remember that? Did you ever see the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? They thought they had invented the song. No, I grew up singing the song. My latest son is sinking fast. My race is nearly run. My strongest trials now are past. My triumph has begun. Do you know it? Oh, come, angel band. Come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. 
Glory to God. Jesus is the mighty sovereign. And as such, he has commissioned his angels as ministering spirits to help us in the way. And when we come to the end of the way, we will not have to cross Jordan alone. We will not have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death alone. The Lord himself will come and his angels will bear us along. Hallelujah. What a morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to comprehend these great truths. Would you write them upon our hearts and before our eyes? May the people of God be encouraged by these things. May our hearts be prompted to worship King Jesus. Lord, thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. In your name I pray. Amen.